Well, if you turn in your Bibles now to the book of Acts, we will be looking at Acts chapter 20. Seems like it's been such a long time since I've stood here and, uh, and had the opportunity to preach. And uh, it's exciting. I'm excited to be back from Uganda. And Acts chapter 20 is the passage we'll be looking at as uh, I have the opportunity to share. Some of you may have wondered when is the team going to share. They'll be sharing next week. A slideshow, a newsletter, and a couple of individuals will be sharing about the trip. So we encourage you to, to come and the kids will join us perhaps to uh, see the slideshow. We want to um, encourage you to, uh, to continue to pray that the Lord would uh, cause us to grow and to be uh, excited for the things that God is doing. And I'll share a little bit about the trip as well, as uh, there are so many things I just have uh, such great gratitude towards the Lord for. Acts chapter 20, we'll be looking at verse 17 through 24. Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through 24, as Paul writes here, he is writing regarding, I should say Luke writes here, regarding Paul's last words to the Ephesian elders as he makes a stopover in Miletus, some 30 miles south of Ephesus. And he says here to these Ephesian elders in chapter 20 of the book of Acts, verse 17 through 24. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Our Father, what a blessing it is to read this passage of Scripture. That the heart of the Apostle Paul resounds with his commitment to finish the race which you had given to him. His commitment and his unswerving resolve, O oh God, may that be our heart as well. May we have the perspective of ministry as he had. May you open our eyes, O oh God, that we might see once again great and mighty things from thy law. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was in Uganda, we had met uh, a large staff that they had. 
of local Ugandans who had, were serving the Lord among the action missionaries that were there. And I marveled at their life. I'm sure that they were watching us and I was watching them. There was an orphanage that we served at, had the opportunity to be a part of for a little while. And there were matrons there. These children didn't have parents. Many of them had been, had been killed during the war. Or some of them were abandoned by the, some river. Nobody wanted them. One child recently was found by the side of a street and just begging and he would live underneath the whatever shelter he could find. There were matrons there who would serve and they, these matrons would live there with the kids, four or five of them, these mothers for these children. And they would work there and they would live there among the kids who were just uh, ages uh, 18 months up until young teens. They would live there week after week, day after day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And finally we were told they were able to work out a system where they would be able to have a week off. Because you see, these ladies had children of their own and families of their own. And I'd marveled at their commitment to these children who had no parents I also watched as, a, as a, there was a pastor's conference that I spoke at and it was a large number of pastors had traveled for a day. They traveled for a day to arrive to the conference. It was a conference that, that they had previously registered for. They had come from the Congo or from Sudan and they traveled by motorbike or by bicycle or they walked. None of them that I knew were supported by their churches because the churches were too poor. And they were primarily farmers, you see, who had come. And they were lay pastors. And many of you had contributed to team expenses. And this was one of them. So that these pastors who had come would be able to have a meal or two of, of rice and of beans and one or two pieces of meat. And they would have a mat that was provided so that they could sleep on in a hut. That's what the funds went towards. And after the conference, I was so uh, touched and impressed because there was a group of some 12 to 15 pastors, most of them who were from the Congo, who had come and they wanted to talk because they didn't have this kind of opportunity. And they shared with me that there were no Bible schools, no seminaries, not even any missionaries who were willing to go to eastern Congo. They told me how they abandoned, they had felt, because no one was going to help them, to train them. And we talked until I could only see in the night the shape of who they were in the dark. And I thought to myself, what is it that drives people? What is it that drives people to serve God like this? To give up three weeks of their whole life every month only to see their family for one week in the month? Or what is it that makes these farmers to serve God and to preach when, of course, it wasn't because it was lucrative. It wasn't because it was convenient. It wasn't because serving God was self-benefiting and certainly wasn't because there was any coercion. Certainly we could say, perhaps it was because 
like Paul shared in 2 Corinthians 5.14, that the love of Christ constrains us or compels us because they love Jesus and therefore they go and serve Christ. I thought to myself how much they must love the Lord to do what they're doing. I mean, ask anybody here, would you take a job like that when you have multiple children to feed and when you're an impoverished farmer to go and serve in the ministry and preach every week to visit and do all of the things that a pastor needs to do and the constraints that they had and the lack of training that they perhaps felt what compels a person what motivates a person what is their perspective and I thought to myself of those who were compelling people who were convincing people and what drove them to do what they do, to be good at what they do. And you realize, too, that the people that you meet that are maybe salespeople or recruiters or those who are teachers are the most effective if they truly believe in what they are selling, if they're truly convinced that to what they are promoting, if they truly believe in what they're teaching. They are the most convincing of people, aren't they? Because they truly believe. And we stopped at the British Museum on the way back and we had this little tour. A wonderful museum, artifacts from biblical times and really a bolstering to one's faith. We took a little tour and the lady there was a great tour guide. Why? Because she knew what she was speaking about and she was excited about those things. Unlike perhaps some customer service reps that you might talk with, like I talked with, yawning over the phone with me about the fact that I had lost my credit card and, uh, you know, I just, uh, well, I got the job done. For a Christian, if you love Christ, if you're convinced that this is the Word of God, then you will be effective communicating who Christ is and in doing the ministry God has called you to. And your perspective will be different. It won't be a chore. It won't be a task. It won't be something that you you feel like you're drudging through. That perspective that you have on ministry and serving God is critical if you're going to be a person who continues to endure in the work God has called you to. So we look at that perspective today. We look at that perspective today because Paul, in his journey to Jerusalem, has a unique perspective that I would say that most people don't have. Most people don't have. He's not serving God out of duty. He's not serving God because there's no one else to do it. But he's serving God because his perspective and his love for Christ, which compels him to, helps him to endure And here we look at what his life displays and what he shares with these Ephesian elders. Because here he is, he's traveling on this boat. It stops over at Miletus, unplanned. And he sends for the Ephesian elders. This was a church that he had started years ago. He decided not to visit the city for whatever reason but he was stopping at Miletus 30 miles away he calls for the elders to come because he wants to say goodbye to a church that he had begun the church was succeeded later on by Apollos and later on by Timothy but here Paul was stopping over and he was on his way to Jerusalem and he was going to be bringing this gift of money 
from the Gentiles to the Jerusalem church, primarily of Jews. Perhaps it would have two effects. One was that he would help, the church would help to alleviate the suffering by the poor in Jerusalem. But secondly, because it was a gift from the Gentiles to the Jews, maybe it would mend some of the discrimination and the rift that had come because Jews had a hard time accepting the fact that God also included the whole world to be saved. So he calls to these elders and he gives them an exhortation. And he tells them these things, you see, because they need to hear. They need to be encouraged. And particularly for perspectives that he had on his own life and ministry there. And these are the thoughts for the first perspective that he shares was he shared about his humble service among them. He shares about his humble service among them. And I think of these things as I think of the people who served also with the action staff in Africa. For it says in verse 18, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that came upon me through the plots of the Jews. <clears throat> His ministry here was characterized by humility. You see, he wasn't out for power. He wasn't out for control. He wasn't out to have a big church. He wasn't there to polish his own ego. He served with humility through tears and with trials because the feelings that were described here with tears and trials describe the internal struggle that he had as well as the external trials that he faced. You see here, if a person who is a leader in the church, they, they struggle with tears. They struggle for the church with tears because when people do not walk with God, when you see people who are lost, when you see people who live in sin, when you see people and there is false teaching in the church, it hurts your heart and it makes you, you cry inside. It's just like when you're a parent and, and if your child decided... They were not going to walk with God and they became involved with crime or they became involved with the drugs or whatever it is. There's an ache in your heart for your own kids because you want them to do what's right. You don't want them to hurt themselves and to hurt their life and you don't want them to hurt the heart of God. And that is why John writes in 3 John, remember in 1-4, he says, there is no greater joy than this, that my, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Because there is an ache and there is heartache and tears when people do not live by God's standard. And then there was external trials that he had. Many times Paul was shipwrecked or many times he was harmed. And they, the Jews were always out to get him. They tried to arrest him or they tried to stone him. One time they stoned him and they left him for dead. But what did he do? They took him outside the city. They stoned him. They thought he was dead. He got up and he went back into the city to continue to teach and preach. Because that was his call. You see, a person who is, who is prideful or is selfish, after things like that happen to them, they'll all say, you know, I don't deserve to be treated like that. You know, I, I deserve better. I'm not going to suffer because 
you know what? There's a lot of other things that I could be rather worth doing. I deserve a better life. I don't want to be burdened with the problems of other people. That's how I used to think years and years ago. But when you stop to think about it, it's amazing, isn't it? When you stop to think about it, these things, bearing the burdens of others, willing to suffer so that others would know Christ, whether it be inconvenience or to have an expense, willing to have that heartache as a leader. These are the things, you see, that God is also concerned about. These are the things that are on God's heart and cause God's heart to ache when His children don't walk with Him as well. I really admire some of the people on staff there because they're serving Christ in a way that many of these Acholi people, they're not thinking about perhaps having an easier life serving the Lord as part of the mission staff there. Jerry Bingham, one of the missionaries whom we served with, he's the field director there. He looks at some of these people on staff that serve alongside him. He's told me more than once he considers them his heroes. Because you see, these, these people, when you talk with them, and we had dinner with a number of them, they would share their testimony with us. Their testimonies were stark contrast to us because oftentimes they had been captured by the rebel army. Oftentimes they had a relative or many, many people they knew who had been shot and killed. But somehow, for some reason, God had spared their life. And here they were raising their family and they themselves might have three, four, five, six kids. But that's not all that they had. Because maybe their brother had been shot and killed by the rebel army. Or maybe because another person in their family was delinquent and taking care. So they, what they would do is they would, as a family, adopt the children. So they would have nine, ten, thirteen children that they were raising, paying for their school fees, feeding them, taking care of them like they were their own children. And yet they were serving the Lord, going and teaching pastors and, 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 and taking another job aside from their church so that they could support themselves and continuing to serve the Lord, even though they might have had nine, twelve children. They wanted to, they could have been so consumed with pursuing better jobs, but they served us as we tried to serve them. And a godly person doesn't think all about themselves. They don't have some superiority complex over others. They're humble enough to serve even in the most difficult of circumstances against the challenges and to be teachable and to be moldable and to say, God, as we had sung earlier today, God, whatever you want from me, that is my desire. And so Paul served with humility willing to suffer in his heart and in his grieving that others might know Jesus and externally that he might bring others to know Christ. And secondly, his perspective was characterized by bold teaching and evangelism. Bold teaching and evangelism. 
Verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. (coughs) So there was boldness in his teaching, boldness in his teaching. And he shared the truth of the gospel, both repentance, which is a turn from sin and faith. Not just the the gospel that is, well, believe in Jesus and you'll be fine. But know that there is sin you need to turn from to God. Now being bold, being bold and having courage is something that I know most, if not all, Christians struggle with. You remember in the book of Timothy? Remember it was Timothy came to the church at Ephesus and he was supposed to fix all of these problems in the church at Ephesus. And yet he, he suffered. As a single pastor, he suffered from having a timid, perhaps shy spirit. And Paul writes to him and he says in that first chapter, For the Lord has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. He was to be bold. And even the Apostle Paul, who wrote nearly half of the New Testament, the great missionary who had planted many churches in Asia Minor, person who is prominent in the New Testament asked the Ephesians in chapter 6, 19 to 20. He said, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness in the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains that am proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And that is how we ought to speak. We ought to speak boldly. To speak up for our faith. Not be ashamed of the gospel. Not be ashamed that I am a Christian. And to stand up for what I believe. It's amazing how open people were in Uganda. Don and Jim and David and I had the opportunity to visit a a hospital. It was the the Gulu Government Central Hospital and it was fairly a basic hospital. We introduced ourselves and, and, you know, Don would introduce ourselves and they would say, yes, we have a pharmacy here. And David would introduce himself and they'd say, yes, we have a, a dental unit here. And then Jim would say, and we have a surgical ward here. And I told them that I was a pastor and they said, we need to begin a chaplaincy. And then the hospital administrator and the hospital, one of the hospital physicians took us and, and we went on this little tour of the facilities and they showed us various parts of the hospital. And at the end, near the end, one of the records keepers said to me, the administrator said to me, you know, you're a pastor. And I thought you were going to begin our time with a time of prayer and we were going to end our time with a time of prayer. And I felt so rebuked as I knew that, you know what, I hadn't. And so I said, well, we should pray now then. And they asked, pray for that building, pray for that thing we're doing and pray for me about this. And we prayed together. And they were so open to wanting prayer, even on the bus. There's a public postal bus that carries the mail from one city to the next. And they stood up on the bus and at the beginning of the bus, after, after we had gotten on and stuff, they said to one of the bus workers said, well, we begin every trip. With a word of prayer. Would anybody like to pray? 
And I wasn't going to fail again. And I'll pray. <laughs> the great blessing really in watching our team. I hope that you would be proud of them. But that they arrived on a Friday night and the next morning, they arrived on Friday night, I remember about 7, 7.30 at night and they were all worn out. The next morning, 10 o'clock in the morning, Students were playing a mini concert for these children with AIDS, with about 75 to 100 plus kids who had gathered. And then Don stood up and he was the first to give his testimony and he shared about Christ. And day after day, I watched these students as they played 11 concerts in 10 days. And these physicians and then medical folks, they had multiple opportunities to share their faith. And they stepped up to the task to do so, sharing from groups as small as six to groups as large as four to five hundred people who would come and they shared about how Christ had saved them or a lesson that God had taught them and there were many open doors for ministry and without exception every single one of them shared not just once or twice but multiple times to testify of God's grace and God used those testimonies as plain as we think they might have been We think to ourselves, well, it's not as if our families were were racked by war and that we lost our husband or our wife or our brother or sister in, in, in war or whatnot. But still, they were listening and it changed people's lives. I would get compliments, not for myself, but for the team. They would come up to me afterwards and they would say, those testimonies were so powerful. So powerful. Those are the testimonies, they would say, that change people's lives. Even the missionaries there would say, you know what was interesting, what was different was that, you know what, we never, rarely do we have older men who come to the field to share about their faith. And Paul boldly shared his faith. It was from house to house, both private and publicly. To share with them, both Jews and Greeks, indiscriminate of who they were. And we need to do the same boldly as we ought. Boldly as we ought to share. For our eyes aren't to be on ourselves or how self-conscious we are or whether or not they're going to be receptive or not. When the opportunity is there, then share and tell them who you are. I'm a child of God, saved by His grace. Paul's perspective then on his ministry was not only of humble service, but of bold preaching. And thirdly, of being surrendered to God. And I love this passage. It says in verse 22, And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. I love this verse. Here he was. A stopover in Miletus. And he calls for the Ephesian elders and he's on his way to Jerusalem. And he tells them that he is going to bring a gift or whatnot. That's his purpose. And he tells them he's ready to follow God into the unknown. Not knowing what will happen to me there. Now some of you who are very much A-type planners, administrators, this would really jar your world, wouldn't it? You just don't know what's going to happen. What is going to happen? What's the plan? Where are we going? What are we going to do? And some people, you just can't handle it. Because you need to plan. 
You know, you, you, you know, you, you want to make the most. Some other people are more like, well, vacation. Let's go on vacation. And it doesn't matter. We'll just do whatever comes up. And some people can't do things like that. But here Paul knew God wanted him to go. And so he went being faithful to God's leading. Knowing what the Holy Spirit testifies, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. I mean, I'm so reminded of those two students that sat in class with me in Dallas Seminary. We had a small class of ten people, and, and there they, they shared with our class and was halfway through the semester that we're preparing. It was a class in the book of Acts, actually. Book of Acts, and we're going through the book of Acts. They said, we're, we're preparing. We're preparing for the mission field. My wife and I were recently married. We're going to Lebanon or Syria. I can't remember which one, one of those two. And they shared they were preparing for ministry, believing, truly believing that they were going to die there, testifying of God's grace. But they were preparing. They were studying for as long as God would have them live. You see, following God requires that kind of trust. That kind of trust to say, you know what, God has called me to do whatever it might be. And I'm going to trust him. No matter what would happen. No matter what the context or circumstances might be. <laughs> Reminds me of when, when I flew. I shared with you too about when I flew into Cambodia, you know. And the plane was landing and then suddenly everybody starts clapping, you know. And I think to myself, oh my goodness, why are they clapping? So I asked one guy, why are they clapping? He says, oh, because the, the plane has landed. <laughs> I thought to myself, my goodness, these pilots, they must have a poor track record as to landing the plane. So, I told Darren Beck, one of the missionaries there, about what had happened, how I, was, I thought it was kind of humorous. They were clapping because the plane actually landed and they were happy the plane landed. And I thought, well, the pilots must not be very good pilots or something. He says, no, that's not why they're clapping. They're thankful that the plane is not being shot at while it's being, while it's landed. That's how it was because in Cambodia, you know, there's still bullet holes in the airport walls. Now that's the mentality though in a war-torn country and being surrendered to God and willing to trust Him for the unknown. And when we trust Him for the unknown, personal safety, comfort and expense, they, they fade in comparison to the calling of God. The person who wants to do God's will and is surrendered to God. The mentality of people is often not that. The mentality is what? To do what God wants you to do as long as it's convenient. Or that I have enough funds. Or I'm going to accomplish my goals. Or I'm not going to be too placed in jeopardy. The mentality of Paul is what? I'm going not knowing what will happen to me there, but I do know that afflictions and trials are waiting for me. Can you imagine that? Imagine your husband or your wife or your son or daughter who's older says, well, you know, I'm going to Darfur or I'm going to Iran or I'm going to China or whatever. I don't know what's going to happen to me there. All I know is that God wants me to go to the field. And I know I probably will get sick. 
Uh, probably it's going to be horrible in terms of living. As the missionaries who were there who were serving with us shared, however, it has been the most difficult place in the world to live for them, but the most fruitful of all of the ministries they have done. And they were about 70 years old. God wants me to reach the unreached. And maybe it's not going overseas or doing something like that. But when we look at ministry here and we say, maybe God wants me to lead this small group. Or maybe God wants me to to volunteer part of my summer to work with World Vision or whatever it might be. Though it may take a night out of my week every week, I want to do what God wants me to do. And though it might be tiring for me. I am going to do it because, you know what, what an opportunity to touch the lives of people. What an opportunity. So the perspective of a person who is an effective servant of God is humble, is bold, is surrendered to God, and fourthly, resolved to faithfulness. Resolve to faithfulness. Verse 24. And this is another wonderful verse. For it says, But I do not consider, think about this, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. <clears throat> Paul's resolve here was to be faithful. He wanted to be found faithful. And already, you see, he knew he was going to testify of the gospel. Already he knew, we see from the previous verse, that bondage and afflictions were set for him. In verse 25, he tells them in the text, verse 25, he knows he's no longer going to see the Ephesian elders anymore. So how was he was able to go still? Knowing, like perhaps my students that I had had class with, knowing that it was going to perhaps be the end of their life. And it says so here, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. What mattered to Paul was the ministry, was the calling that he had received. That calling is shared by us, isn't it? To testify of who Christ is. To tell people that there is a God in heaven who has sent His Son to die on the cross for their sins. The action missionaries in Gulu, they were so grateful. They were grateful. They shared with us later on. I didn't know. They were grateful that we had come. Because, you see, there was a group that was to come right before us month or two or something like that before us. And they had heard about how there were death threats at their school. How there were some people who had been let go. And in that culture, there is often a culture of vengeance where you take and you, you kill those whom you're upset with. And they had heard about the death threats that were there and the, some of the issues that were surrounding the school. And they were thankful that we had decided to come because there was another group that had written to them and asked... If the area director could guarantee their safety. Well, no missionary can guarantee the safety of people on the ground and their team. There's no guarantees that one is going to be well or healthy or that no tragedy would come. We decided to go and we decided to stay and they were glad that we did. Because sometimes it takes... 
a resolve to say that, you know what, God has called us there and so we will go. We'll do what God has called us to do. And many of the people in the action staff were just like that. These people, it seemed as I shared with you that all of them had been captured once or multiple times by the rebels at one time or another. And they had knew many, many people who had died. I think of one man I'd met, we had met, captured five times by the rebel army. And they would capture these folks and they would make them carry their bags or carry their food so that they themselves wouldn't. And you'd better be healthy or strong because once you were weak and you were useless to them, they would gun you down because you were no longer able to help them. Five times, though, God in His providence allowed him to be released for various reasons. And that same man, he was a former alcoholic and a fornicator and began to evangelize and share the gospel with others. And one day he was traveling on his bicycle with two other pastors. They were stopped by the rebel army. And the rebel army likes to play this kind of a game of roulette. They would pit one against the other and basically say, if you don't kill him, we're going to kill you. None of them, the three of them, the two pastors, him, would, would not do it. So they would say to him, you, you will kill him or we're going to shoot you. And so they put a gun to the first pastor's head and they pulled the trigger. Bang! He was dead. And then they played the game again and with the last two said, yeah, you're going to kill one or the other, otherwise we're going to kill you and put the gun to the pastor's head. They pulled the trigger. Bang! And they killed him too. They came to him and said, threatened him as well, put a gun to his head. They pulled the trigger, went click. So they thought the gun was jammed and they tried to unjam it. They fiddled with it, put the gun to his head and click. The, the, the commander was very upset then because he was so agitated at the frustration of this gun that they said, well, let me, let me give you my gun. You use my gun. They gave him his gun. They put the gun to his head and pulled the trigger and click. Then all of the soldiers in the rebel army were fearful because they knew this man would not be killed. His name was Richard. He was our driver that drove us around most places. And it was a turning point in his life. From then on, he knew that God had spared his life for a reason. And that from that point on, he began really to serve the Lord in the ministry. And what keeps people from serving God sometimes and stepping out in faith is not because they do things in faith, but it's because they do things in fear rather than allowing God to work through them. They're afraid of harm or retribution or rejection. But if you say like Paul, I don't consider my life as anything dear to myself. He could have very well said, you know what, that's the last straw. I'm not going to be in that position again and go back to private life and supporting the the nine or eleven children that, that he's supporting. He could very well have said that. But he began to serve the Lord even more because he saw how God had preserved his life for a purpose. 
The freedoms that we have are, are freedoms to use for the glory of God. And if there is nothing that holds us back, you imagine to yourself, if I have the mentality as Paul had here, that I consider my own life and of any account not uh, anything dear to myself, what freedom you'll have. The adventure of abandonment to God and trusting God that no matter what happens, He is sovereign. And whatever happens, it is for our good and for His glory. And what, imagine what a powerful ministry and impact you will have as a person who serves God. For often we say to God, I will serve you, God, as long as it fits into my plan or is convenient to me. But as Paul tells Timothy, he tells him, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And he tells him something that many of us fall into. No soldier in active service, he says, entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. So that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So oftentimes, doesn't it? We can get so consumed with the mundane. With the things of everyday living. That we forget God has a plan and a purpose. And that I am to be a testimony. And even in the things that we are called to do in faithfulness. We can testify of Christ. We keep our eyes on the calling to be ministers and servants of God. And as Paul has us in his sharing here, that we are to be humble, bold, surrendered, and resolved. See, it doesn't matter if a person is highly gifted or intelligent or wealthy or skilled or educated or whatever it might be. Because God cannot use those who are proud or fearful or insecure or unfaithful. He uses those who are humble, who are bold, who give themselves as a living sacrifice to Him and are resolved, as Paul has said here. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus. And that is to be our call as well. That is to be our perspective. Going and following God, not knowing what will happen to me. But even if there be bonds and affliction, it's okay. Because God is a God who is in control and always will be. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, our God, so tightly do we often cling. And I see in my own heart, so often do I tightly cling to my own plans and dreams, to my own life. Rather than living a life of soul surrender, O oh God, I pray for us, God, that we might be a church, an effective church. Lives that are fully abandoned to you. Looking forward in anticipation of God about how greatly you can use us. If we simply desire, O oh God, yielding ourselves to you as instruments in your powerful hand. So may we be humble.
and bold about our faith. May we be people who surrender ourselves to you in abandonment. And may we see you use us in powerful ways for your glory and your name's sake. Amen.